Well, good morning. I want to begin with a story about a woman named Lorena who uh, directs uh, a home in Romania. Uh, the, the home is, uh, is filled with, with kids who were abandoned and deserted after the fall of communism in 1989. One day she uh, had an 11-year-old boy and she had some issues with him and she was trying to understand his background and who he was, what might have influenced him. And so she went to the original village where he had grown up and she went to the child's house and found in the house three people. The boy's 85-year-old grandmother, her 40-year-old mentally challenged son, and a 5-year-old little girl. The little girl cowered in the corner, kind of rolled up in a ball, and she, she couldn't walk and she wouldn't talk. And they discovered that for most of her few short years, the child had been daily molested by her mentally challenged uncle. The year was 1998, and Romanian law provided no means by which this child could be delivered from her house. Unless someone had personally witnessed the abusive acts, the government said there was nothing they could do. It broke Lorena's heart. She said, I knew I would never forget that girl's gorgeous eyes. As empty and terrified as she was, there was a sparkle there, an unforgettable beauty. It can be hard nowadays sometimes to see the spark in, in people's eyes. We live in a world where image is, is everything. And that image, it seems, is all about the externals. Every shiny magazine cover, store, television program seems to proclaim that the message that how you look and what you own and where you live and what you drive and what you wear, where you work, are the great determiners of your worth. Even a few years back, there was a magazine called Worth that displayed how beauty, youth, health, and wealth were all the new rage. Social media, as well, is a part of this. An article on CNN recently talked about how the impact, the impact that social media had upon the self-esteem of, of people, especially younger people and especially younger women and girls. You know, none of us wants to be superficial, of course. We, we know that it's the inside quote that counts, Right. But it's hard not to allow these externals to become the lens through which we assign value to ourselves. How am I looking today? You know, how do other people think I look? I should put another picture up, another tweet. As much as we might like to think otherwise, these appearances become the filter that forms our vision of the worth of other people, too. Do I want to spend time with that person? They don't look so good. They look poor or paunchy or wild or weird. And these outside things, these external things, can even become the grid by which we determine not only our value and how we view our vision of other people, but also our vocation and our calling in life. We can ask questions like, will this job and will this church or club or organization, will this volunteer uh, time, will this help my image or or will it hurt it? What determines our worth? What determines our identity? The writer of Psalm 8 had to answer, had to understand questions like those. It was King David. If anybody knew, understood what it was like to to pursue external things, it was David. He had risen from impoverished beginnings as a as a shepherd boy to the place where he was now the king and uh, of a powerful nation of Israel. 
He had glittering wealth. He had attracted beautiful women to his bed. He had surrounded himself with admirers. He had won himself a place in the history books. And yet, as he stared up into the stars one night, David had a a moment of supreme clarity. And he found himself driven to to his knees by the far greater glory of God's creation and the infinitely larger majesty of the king of the universe. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is humankind that you're mindful of them? It's a question that all of us must ask because the answer to that question is the basis of everything. Somehow we must look beyond the the superficial stars and stuff of of our world and our time and recognize the foolishness there is in this preoccupation that we have as human beings with the outside image. Gravity and rust and the winds of time eventually alter the surface of everything, don't they? External beauty withers, youth passes, health goes, fame fades. Even wealth can't spare us death. In the end, only eternity remains. And what are we? Who are we? Different worldviews try to answer that with different uh, answers, of course. For example, there's a worldview out there that says that we are simply the product of random chance, uh, mathematical improbabilities and possibilities, and that everything kind of changed and came together and matter and all these things, and there was nothing outside of it, no intelligent design, no power, no God behind it, that this life is all there is, and when it's over, that's it. But the Christian worldview answers the question, who are we and what are we and why are we here? By saying this, that we are made in the image of God. The Latin for that is imago Dei. And the Bible defines image in very different terms than it's used in our culture. The most precious and potent truth about us as human beings is that we are made in God's image. Genesis 1.27 puts it like this. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And this image has nothing to do with externals and everything to do with the internals. We do not look like God on the outside. Our likeness to God is on the inside. God made us spiritual, relational, and creative beings like him. And this image of God within us has at least three implications for you, for me, for that little Romanian girl, and for everybody on this earth. The first is being made in God's image affects our value. For one thing, being made in the the image of God makes us calculate and cultivate our value differently than the world will tell us to do. We remember that our value doesn't come from the material realities of our life, but from the spiritual realities. The Apostle Peter said it like this, Your beauty does not come from outward adornment. Instead, it is that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And if that is true, then why do we spend so much energy tending to our surfaces and so little time tending to our, to our souls? Why do we spend so much time building our resumes instead of building our relationship with God? 
Why the passion for the external and not for the eternal? The great Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn once rightly observed that the meaning of existence is to preserve unspoiled, undisturbed, and undistorted the image of eternity with which each person is born. So how is that preservation project going for you? If we're not regularly involved in a Christian community or or a life group, or if you're not practicing the spiritual disciplines of prayer or scripture reading or or scripture memory or meditation or or Christian service, what what is your strategy to become the person that God has created you to be? Your spirit within you, the spirit of God within you, the image of God within you is the most precious and the most truly valuable thing about you. As the psalmist said, you made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. Secondly, being made in the image of God affects or should affect our vision. If we know that other human beings are created in the image of God, it should have a relational impact. It won't just affect our own sense of value. It will give us a vision of the value of the people around us. As the Apostle James said, it can be appalling how we run down people created in God's image. James wrote, with the same tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with the same tongue we curse others who have been made in God's likeness. If we understand the image of God, then we are going to treat every person we meet as an eternal being. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, we will view every individual as the holiest object presented to our senses. Remember the story of, of, of Samuel in the, in, in the Old Testament? He's looking for the next king of Israel. Saul has displeased God, and so they're looking for a new king. And God leads him to the house of Jesse. And Jesse has a quiver full of sons. And so Samuel picks the oldest, obviously the strongest, the best-looking kid as the prime candidate. But listen to what God says. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I picked the youngest son, David. For the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, when Jesus walked through this shallow, howl world of ours, and he showed a remarkable interest in those whom society deemed as unfit throwaways. The leper, the lame person, the blind person the Samaritan, the prostitute, the tax collector, the child, the woman, the widow, the orphan, the impoverished person. Jesus had a vision. He saw others as people created in his Father's image, and he treated them with love and respect and attention. The challenge for us is do we do the same? When we encounter that old woman with hair on her chin or the guy out of work or the person driving the beat up car, the fat person, the person at the table helping us at the restaurant, helping us, the the prisoner in the cell, the awkward autistic kid. Do we think, how can I honor the image of God in them? How can I look for and encourage their heart? Or do we look the other way? Do we view them or treat them differently? Thirdly, being made in the image of God affects our vocation, our calling. 
In James Patterson's best-selling novel, Life Card, a down-on-his-luck man named Ned Kelly goes in search of a rather unremarkable stolen painting by a lesser-known artist named Henri Gohm. And he pays dearly in the course of his search for this work. He loses loved ones, he suffers injury and isolation, he even goes to prison. But in the end, only in the end, however, does Kelly come to see how worthwhile the search has been. Because he discovers beneath the surface of the ordinary painting lies a masterpiece of priceless value. Being made in the image and likeness of God means that we are beings of creative vocation. We are to partner with God in being stewards of other people in God's work in our world. The psalmist said, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. In other words, God is calling us to care for the masterpieces that he has made. And that includes people. Back to Lorena. For three years, Lorena and a group of lawyers tried to get the Romanian law changed so that abused kids could be taken out of the home. Finally, in November of 2001, the law was changed and passed. And shortly after that, Lorena visited a state-run facility for mentally challenged children. As she walked through the dormitory, Lorena caught the eye of a girl about nine years old. And there was something about the sparkle in her eyes that triggered a memory. She asked the child her name, I am Dunda. She said, do you have a brother? Yes. What village did he come from? The girl answered, and Lorena knew for sure it was that little girl from way back when. She asked the staff, please let me have this child. We can teach her. We can nurture her. We can help her. The authority said, and I quote, forget her. She is garbage. Nothing will come of her. But Lorena would not forget. She kept begging the state orphanage. And at long last, they gave her the child. Dunda went to school. She excelled academically. This girl who once could not talk or walk, the forgotten girl given up as hopeless garbage, finished first in her class. And she is a masterpiece slowly being redeemed through the love of Christ and the love of his people. Because God can see the sparkle in each person's eyes. He can see the image of God in us. He created us. He made us like this way. He sees the unborn child, the man in prison, the old woman sitting alone in the rest home, the young person who's almost given up on life, the discouraged or despairing or depressed person who hears my voice today. God sees into your eyes and sees into mine, and he sees the very image of himself. And this light that he finds there is more luminous than the moon and the stars, King David told us. And it's the sparkle of those he has made just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. It is the light of those whom the eternal king himself has crowned with glory and honor. However faded or distorted or, or disordered or how hard it may be to see at times, it's there. It's what makes us valuable and makes us priceless in his sight. It's what makes us most like Jesus Christ, his son. And so may we, like the psalmist, base our worth and our value on God's love for us and, our, and the fact that we are created in his image. And may we have eyes to see like Jesus Christ, those around us as people who are created in God's image, special and valuable and priceless. And may we too, like Jesus and like this woman, Lorena, may we reach out in love 
and treat each person around us, no matter their circumstances, with love and honor and respect. For they are priceless in God's sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful that it is truth, that it directs us, that it shapes us, that it tells us who you are and about your heart and your character. We thank you that it points us to your son, Jesus the Christ. God, we thank you that your word teaches us and tells us, and Jesus affirms it, that we are created in your image. And that's what makes us valuable. Help us, Lord, to see others as you see them. Help us to to reach out to others and shower them with your love and point them to you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.